Hello and welcome to the Fulcrum Feed. This is a place for all of us to talk about Star Wars. I currently cannot hear anything funny you're saying. Just FYI. Why not? Because output device. Okay. Yeah, so now I can hear me and I need to make me go away. Include audio input. I do want that. I want it split between channels, but I don't want to hear myself for God's sakes. Okay. Hello and welcome to Fulcrum Feed. Fulcrum this Feed. This is where we often, but not always, talk about Star Wars. I knew you were going to make fun of me for this. Talk <laughs> about other pieces of incredibly complex world building. I'm going to make today, you read it all now. Ptolemy Solocum and I are talking about the mother and father. The Eru, the Iluvatar, 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 Iluvatar. <laughs> Isn't it Iluvatar? Um, the British guy who does the thing says Iluvatar, but I believe pronunciation should not be, you know. Oh, oh, so that's British. Yeah, I think there's an American. Yeah, I mean, I just I've always heard Iluvatar. Yeah, I'm fine with either. But that does sound like my name is Ptolemy. Yeah. But I, I don't. have to make me. I have to stop hearing me. This is why I always have Anthony with me. Boo. Okay, wait. I'm, I'm Anthony. Gonna... <laughs> I'm Anthony. All right, I'm going to just fix. Okay. All right. It's It can be done. I can just ignore myself. I, I want these to be a little bit evergreen. It's like up to the moment that we last. Right. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not yeah. like totally into like. I don't want to talk this about this scene yeah, happened, I hate and that. then this scene happened. It's like I don't see the point. I just want to talk about. I what plan we're talking on about. talking about the core elements of Tolkien yep. that the show is getting correct. Yes, I'm just trying to prepare for any Ptolemyness. Yeah, I wouldn't want that when you're talking to Ptolemy. That'd be the worst. Welcome to the full. This is a place where we often, but not always, talk about Star Wars. But sometimes we talk about other pieces of incredibly complex world building. And today, Ptolemy Slocum and I, hello Ptolemy. Yeah! <laughs> are talking about the mother and the father, the Eru, the Iluvatar, or Iluvatar, depending where you live, uh, of all complex world building in the modern storytelling age, J.R.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings, currently represented on streaming with no small amount of irony by the Rings of Power series on Amazon Prime. Uh, you who listen to me on Let's Talk About Star Wars might ask yourself, how can you, Jenny, a person I only know from talking about Star Wars, go there, go to some other world from Star Wars to Tolkien to Star Wars and back again? What's the one ring, I mean, thing that links all these conversations? Um, well, it's the storytelling. It's incredibly complex. They're building worlds. Tolkien didn't even start writing his Hobbit plots until he built languages for like 16 other character types you would barely see in that book. Um, George Martin seems to delight in telling us about thousands of years of family history that came before the ending we'd love for him to get to someday uh, before he dies. Uh, and of course, there's Star Wars. There's a show about years of family history and laser swords and families and hope and hopey hope hope uh overall on the fulcrum feed i would say that we are in the season of andor that means that we're talking about the disney plus series andor it's kind of our pivot point it's our fulcrum um andor is the story of a bunch of grimy down in the dirt people fighting a power that wants to bring them order and technology and more order that's a very tolkien-esque theme so uh, i'm going with the idea that we are also in the season of halbrand because there are a lot of characters in the rings of power that we know how their story is going to end like we literally have watched it um but that guy as of right now is still a mystery um and i'm just going to say that we're always going to try to point out where we are in time which is that we have just watched episode six of lord of the rings um, which is ended with a big boom. And that's how you'll remember it three months from now when you Literally. listen to this podcast. Literally a huge boom. 
So just remember, like, where are these people? And what are they talking about now? And why do they not already know the thing that I know? It's because we're at the big boom episode. Yeah. Okay. It's originally, it's originally going to be called Mount Doom, but right now it's called Mount Boom. Mount Boom, everybody. Mount that Ptolemy and that. Slocum. Speaking of Mount Boom, uh, is Ptolemy Slocum. Uh, yes. He's a, hello. He's an actor, a writer, a friend. We met in college. You might have heard him on Tell It Anyway. He was at our wedding and we were at his. He is one of our... <laughs> Um, I don't know if I would trust him to carry the ring all the way to Mount Doom, but I would trust him to to guard us uh, with his life. I would guard <laughs> the ring bearer. Yes. Uh, I, I I have confidence in that. Yes. I think the best part of me is probably saying that I don't have confidence in actually holding the ring. That's good <laughs> progress. That's, That's good solid progress, progress for uh, a human. You would become a, a great and powerful Lord who was thinking you were doing right and would crush people beneath your boot with the power of the ring, but it would take a long time, I think. But I would not, I would not grasp for it. Like I would, yeah. that's pretty good. That's, that's where I'm good. at. Honestly, yeah. in my life, I'm like, yeah. like, I get what this thing is now and I don't want it even though I know that I want it a lot. Yeah. I would take the ring from desire to do good, like Gandalf. I would be like, oh, yeah. I could help all the people. And then I would do terrible things. But as a human, you would you would not. Yeah. yeah that would be terrible. That would be terrible. Um, I mean, even Gandalf had issues with it. Yeah, which, he couldn't do it. Which brings up how interesting uh, Tom Bombadil is. Yes. So. Tom threw it away, right? He was just like, eh. Yeah, he was like, oh, this little thing. Because yeah. it was made much after him. Um, Ptolemy and I both love Tolkien. We've both read Tolkien. We've both watched many of the Tolkien things. And I haven't asked you what, I feel like I knew you 20 years ago when the Lord of the Rings movies came out. What were your thoughts right. on it like then and now, just a level set? Yeah. And so that's ultimately what I think we should talk about, because this is the timeless nature of talking about this series uh, ver versus adapting any of these series in general. I believe that this series is getting right what uh, what Jackson did not get correct. Jackson loves Lord of the Rings. I'm not taking that away from them. What they did get right is the design, which is completely adopted uh, to the show. You can take nothing away from them for their visual design. But what you can't take away is that they didn't understand the core of Tolkien mm. and they didn't feel like they needed to. They didn't commit to it and it wasn't uh, high on their priorities. What they liked is the adventure, the action, the, the, the narrative, the storytelling, kind of like the shell of what that Lord of the Rings is, but not the truth that awakened the story of Lord of the Rings. So they took the action elements. You can tell by their emphasis and yeah. what they prioritized and when they went off script, why they went off script and what they followed when they went off script. Well, so they didn't have they didn't have a commitment to the core of Tolkien. In my opinion, I did watch them. I think they're visually fine, but I have no interest in I just don't. I'm, they're not interesting to me. Well, to be fair, um, I think if you told a movie studio, I want to make a story um, about trees and um, the earth and all of these things, they would have been like, I'm not giving you this money. So I think that storytelling, yeah, so wait, I, I think there's a, at, I, well, at, I already know because you've said this before, and at, I think there's a difference between <laughs> fair and kind. And I think you're being kind. You're not being fair because I think you've seen the rest of his films and he has an obsession with the wrong things. Okay. But go ahead. Okay. I think that there were people in his world who totally understood because little bits of it kept – there was a reason there were three writers on the whole movie. I approach it from the perspective. They were always throwing things in. They were always trying. They were always trying to get there to the core of Tolkien. I don't think they didn't right. understand it. I don't think they didn't understand. I think they had the wrong priorities and I do place it entirely on Jackson. And I do think you're correct. He did have a mandate and he had to execute something that had not been done before. Did he execute it? Yes. Are they good films? Yes. Are they interesting to me? No. As someone who truly believes that Tolkien has not just a beginning, but a beginning before the beginning, not just an ending, but a piece that all every piece of Tolkien leads to. This man is beyond storytelling. He does a co cosmology, both of his narrative, but of our lives. And every piece of everything he wrote 
follows an etching in the sand and he follows that every story weaves in the same way that he has dictated and will unlike every other piece of of narrative that i have seen will all come to a conclusion that he paints and we're going to cover that in this podcast i'm down i and I so think, that yeah. is the difference between tolkien and good fantasy now does Tolkien also do good fantasy? Yes, he does great fantasy. It all comes from a place. That's cool. But what if you just want to tell an awesome story in the world of Tolkien? Great. That's what Peter Jackson did. It's a cool story, beautifully shot, beautifully designed. I mean, I cannot, I give him a 10 out of 10 on design, and I can't tell you how important design is. An incredible landmark film in terms of how they designed it and the execution. Excellent. But it's not Tolkien. Mm. Because it le- it loses what is at the core of Tolkien. Now, this show, I was not looking forward to. I didn't watch the trailers. A friend of mine had to keep telling me to like be excited. I'm like, not excited. Because I think it's going to be the same thing. It's going to be storytelling in the flavor of Tolkien, mm. but not Tolkien. You called it and Tolkien ice cream. That's right. So that's what I that's what I assume people are going to make. And I don't think that's what this show is. I think this show has Tolkien at the core of it. Now, and for before, that reason. Right. Before you dive into that, what is the core of Tolkien from your perspective? Tolkien is very simple to understand, uh, except that sometimes when true simplicity comes up in life, that simplicity echoes. And I use the word echo for a reason. It echoes into the most complex uh, aspects of all life. And so Tolkien is very, 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 very simple. But it it's echoes upon echoes upon echoes upon echoes until it seems like a cacophony. What is and the simplest principle? Is Tolkien. Actually, it's what I just said, which is crazy. But the simplest principle is there is perfect there's the idea of perfect. Now, again, this is actually one of the echoes. So there, there's a, there's the idea of like the God, the the large components of his philosophy that that echo into smaller components. And I think what I'm about to say is a, is a God of it, but not the it. Okay. okay. But uh, I think the most simple form is there is perfect in in a Christian form or the the doctrine that we understand is Eden. There is a perfection, mm-hmm. and there is loss of perfection. And your relationship to how you lost perfect, your reaction to that defines you, your character, the rest of your life, the rest of your days. Mm. And so there is perfect. There is a concept of perfect. And then there is the loss of perfect and how you respond to loss of perfect. And then the truth behind all of this is that all elements of these things were God's plan. All of them. All along. And so there's a... There's a piece of power in you that thinks that you can overcome and either go back to perfect or destroy perfect and become your own power. So mm-hmm. your relationship to there is a central essence of how you perceive truth and your reaction to that defines your entire life. Is that because perfect is, your is life unknowable? Perfect is not possible. It's not. It's also the insane thing is it's not intended by God. This is the crazy thing or Iluvatar. It was never intended to be. It was just intended to be suggested. The rest of your life, do you try to get, do you fight your way back to perfect? Do you mourn perfect? Do you become bitter and angry and start destroying all other things because they are not perfect? Do you try to control perfect? How powerful are you and how willing are you to use your power to shape the world that you want instead of the world that is? All of these things are reverberations of a central core truth. Or is and they the very, all exist at the is the very idea of perfect a method of control, which we find in our that world. That is exactly time. right. And uh and it also goes through your relationship to childhood. Mm-hmm. Your childhood, your understanding of childhood, the loss of innocence, it happens in your life personally because we are each an echo of the original song. Mm. And yes. that's how he breaks down. That's how he breaks down the core truth of what all of his stories are, what each of our stories are in reference to this, and how all of these stories will come to an end. It's wild. It's wild. This guy is beyond entertainment. This is he's in theology. This is like truth. 
No, he's in theology. He, he was a he's very much into Christian theology with all of its um great ideas and flaws equally, right? Yeah. Um he the there is a book called The Silmarillion, which I have read and you have read, but not maybe not everybody has read. Yes, uh, Ptolemy is so holding it up for the my, audio audience. This is a first edition Silmarillion, yeah. first edition American Silmarillion. Yeah. I found it in Dallas. Oh, great. Uh, so I keep it with me. Yeah. Uh, and it's called the uh, Ein Ulindale. I, I, I can't say it all together, but the Ainur. Everyone listening to this. That your only real assignment, I think, for all time is just to read the first three pages of yeah, this thing. Agree. Just because the first three pages. It, it to clarify, to bring us up from religion and down to the TV show, which we'll get to. Um We're here. We're, we're at here. the TV show. I know. But what I'm saying is they do not have the rights to the Silmarillion. No, but, but they still do it. They still and I will do show it. you where. Yes. It's right here in the entrance. Yes. So the title sequence, I've never seen a title sequence more important than, uh, than the title sequence here. Yes. Starts with uh, some sand. And yeah, pebbles. Uh, sand gathers, right? So here, uh, there was Eru um, Iluvatar, and he gathered the Ainur. Then he taught each of them an independent song. I paraphrase instead of reading it, but honestly, yeah, yeah. like you should just read it. So this is not technology, by the way, that existed in his time. Yeah. He was writing this stuff because truth is truth. And we have only come to discover some of it. So Iluvatar teaches each one of these major gods or major themes, their own theme. So he says to them a theme and they do not know that uh, they are part of other people. So at first they are just singing their own song. And so it begins, these pebbles collect, and then you see a series of eight circles surrounding one circle. So see, I watch thought it. that was nine rings. No. One circle sure? in the middle. Well, it can be, but this, I'm telling you my okay. theory. So this is my theory. All right. You have one circle in the center. That's Iluvatar. That's God. He taught each circle their own song, their own theme. They only know their theme at first, and they're singing it to themselves. There are seven major powers, both male and female, and then wh who's called um, Melkor, who becomes yeah. Morgoth, right? Yeah. So there are eight. The big bad. There are eight individual themes: seven male, seven female, and then Melkor is the eighth. Then they find each other and start singing together, and so that's what the that's what the title sequence shows. They start spinning. They 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 locate each other. And this is honestly what they're doing is physical because this is how sound works. Sound, when it overlaps with itself, becomes silent. Or when it when it when it counters itself, it becomes silence. That's called phase shift. So yep. you can phase the same wavelength at the opposite becomes zero. But tell me about when they sound. Meet, <laughs> tell me about that's sound. That's what I am. Yeah, yeah. Uh yeah. So let's take a wavelength, right? Yeah. If the wavelength is like five pulses per second, if you reverse it, then each pulse will be happening at the same time at opposite peaks and troughs. And the end result will be silence. If you have them in the same direction at the same time, the peaks double and you have a higher sound than one by itself. And that's why when you look at that, this is why you can set a, a piece of metal over a speaker and play it. And the all of the sound waves that are combining and mixing where they cross each other and touch a peak forms. And so everything vibrates toward that peak, but where they cross each other and are opposite silence forms. And there is which silence is how there. it's moving those little rocks around, which is how you're seeing those stones move. Yeah. And the same thing with us, where we find each other and where we are similar, we light each other up in little pieces, little stories. It could be our drama. It could be our trauma. It could be okay, our sadness. Wait. It could be our joy. Okay. We have now got so the I. second frame of the introduction of the show. So then he creates a theme and they're all singing the theme together and it makes beautiful forms. The and trees. sub themes come out of this, which are sub creatures or sub themes. And each of these themes have their own entities. Yep. And so now these are the creation of the Maya, which are sub gods. Uh, and we're going to be introduced to some Maya here. Mm -hmm. And so there you have the major themes and the minor themes come up out of expression. So these people can express themselves and they find ways and one among them. 
And if you read this thing, a lot of it is about this guy, Melkor, yes. is the most powerful because this is the core theme. Because we of are in a period of, of time in this show where Melkor has been banished and what is left is what he has wrought, but they have not destroyed. Right. So he, well, we're still in the title sequence. He he realizes <laughs> that not only, not only can he uh, witness everybody else, he's been given minor power of everyone and more power of himself. In and the so title realized, sequence. Wait, I can, yeah, I can yeah. make my own song. And so when you see that black river going that's through, that's him realizing, hold on. But then there's a very purposeful, like evil snake moving through it. And that is his intention to create his own. So it's almost a, a diametrically opposition to God himself, the man who made him saying, well, hold on a second. I know this is singing. I know we are singing. I know I can sing. So I will make the song. You think you make things. I will make things. And now it's me against everyone. But you guys, you guys are just following God. Like we can be our own gods. Come with me. We are stronger than him. And some and of the Maiar do. Song. Some of the Maiar, some of the Maiar do, but but the um, Valar, some of them are like, what? And they stop singing. Yeah. That's your reaction to like when things go wrong. Some of them fight it. Some of them some of them are continue their own song over in the corner. This is it all comes crashing like waves uh, at the feet of Iluvatar, God. Right. And he stands up and there's a fucking smile on his face. <laughs> Keep in mind, this guy, it all seems like, oh, he's messing it up. This guy, because that's what our lives are like. Our lives are like, they're messing it up. This is wrong. This is how it should be. This is how, this is, this is the correct politics. This is the correct way to build our playground. This is the correct, like, we think we know the truth. And that is exactly how God has designed it. Because. He smiles. Because he knows what's coming. So he raises his left hand and he starts a new theme. And this theme is like killer. It's his own theme. It radiates off of his chair. And now there's a brand new theme. Melkor seeing a great new theme. And this theme is Manwe, one of the Valar, or that's his theme. Now they confront evil. It's evil against good. Good coming from God, evil being against God. And they clash. And it becomes this huge sound. And now it's a major cacophony. And Iluvatar stands again and raises his right hand. And another sound moves across the, and this is a sad song, like pale wine. And it's deep and it cannot be stopped. And by now, as you have seen in your life, the bad guys, quote unquote, the bad guys can only, can only retreat to this like trumpety, like eh, 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 just <laughs> desperately trying to destroy what is good because right. that is how they have power. But this song can take in all of the negativity and weave it into a sound where sorrow cannot be broken by sadness. Mm -hmm. It can still be woven. It can still be true. And it can take all of the sadness. It's an acceptance of, of what is ungood. It's, it's accepting and moving and welcoming. And it is painful and powerful and unstoppable. And... All the will of Iluvatar, because nothing. And that all he, of this was intentional. I also talk in this. I also oh, talk. I'm sorry. Yeah. Okay. Oh, that was. That's when Jenny's mad at you. Yes, Jenny wants to get a word in edgewise because Ptolemy is not the only person who read the Silmarillion. The idea that Ptolemy has been beautifully expounding for those of you who are like, "What?" is that the in the first chapter of the Silmarillion, it's how. This god, Eru or Iluvatar, or Iluvatar, however you describe it, has created a world and a, a universe, really, and then a world within that universe. And all of the singing that Ptolemy is talking about is the way that he's done it in song only, as far as the gods and the sub-gods know. And uh, Melkor, who becomes Morgoth. And they sing, and exactly as Ptolemy described, it's very confusing it, the first six times you read it. <laughs> uh, and then it becomes yeah. less confusing. And uh, you start to realize that in the end, all the singing has created a world. This one world, which I get a little confused about whether it's a world, a universe, a galaxy, it doesn't matter. Arda, Ea, what is? And then this is the creation story that we have just 
witnessed in this first chapter. And what Ptolemy is saying is that you are also witnessing it in the opening credits. Now, now go on. Yeah, now go. Uh, this is the song part. So he he stands up and scolds them. Yeah. And then Melkor's like, uh, because he's like real angry. And he's like, don't, don't get confused. I meant all of this. No yeah. matter what you do, I intended it. Yeah. There is nothing more like beautiful or powerful and a much deeper understanding of whatever religion that you subscribe to is inside of this. Yeah. And that is a story. So this is the song before earth and then he creates earth and says hey if you want to go down there and live out your song do it uh, or you can stay here with me and some do and some don't so now we're looking at what what the what the title credits end is in the second uh, what i think this is my personal theory he raises his hand once and a and a cacophony comes and then this and then we're left here in the second age mm -hmm. because there's a there's a downfall of sand there's this like sense uh, if you read, read, um, read the first three pages and then slowly watch the title sequence and you will see how they actually align with the depth and the height of where the sound, the music goes. Like it is, and I where believe, this word show for starts, word. Right. Where right. the show starts is very important to those credits, because one of the things that the people all singing together create are the trees, the two trees and of Valinor. And that's where we start. Mm. We start in basically the earthly manifestation of heaven, um, the closest thing on earth that you can get, Eden, right? The um, uh, Valinor. And the idea of Valinor is that it's where all of these gods and goddesses and the earliest of the elves live for reasons that we can delve into in the future. Um, but it starts with a young Galadriel, and it starts with her brother, a guy named Finrod Felagund. And they talk exactly about what you've been talking about. They talk about the idea of light versus darkness. And it's a theme that you'll see recur through all of these episodes. So I, um, the moment I saw those two trees, I was hooked. Also, I just like sand. I want to eat sand a lot. I have that weird thing when you want to <laughs> eat sand. I mm -hmm. think it's because the sand is like sugar. Okay. But also uh, it's but just when you're crunchy. on a beach or you're yeah. like, I'm I don't standing do it. on sugar. I don't do it, Good. but I put my hands in it and I'm like, I want to eat this a lot. And so mm. the Lord of the Rings opening for me is just candy. Mm. Like it's just candy. Delicious. Yeah. You can make those effects with sand, uh, yeah. with uh, sugar if you'd yeah. like. And then eat uh, it. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, one thing you <laughs> so could do is. So two people can have two different ideas about a thing. Yeah. Although I think if you eat the sand, you will learn very quickly. Your that it's mostly dog pee. It's a lot of dog pee and a lot of grit. Yeah. You know, sand is pretty gritty. Yeah. I don't eat it, but I have been known to rub it on my skin just because I'm like, I love so, sand. Anyway, sorry. So here we are yeah. at the difference for me between the show and the films. Yeah. Is that even in that context, I don't care uh, as much that even the timelines are correct. Like there are so many things that you can let go because even in Tolkien's vision, these are themes. The themes are important mm -hmm. and you can tell story as long as you hold on to the themes. In fact, you can iterate on stories. That's what all of these are. And so for me, this show works because all of these characters that they're creating, they have a relationship to the theme. They are an iteration of the truth of what Tolkien believes is life. And uh, I, they, you know, a lot of it they are following. I think they're going to maybe work out a way, and they're they're being canon. But but deep at the deepest part of canon is truth for me. And this mm -hmm. show has it, and the Lord of the Rings films don't. Hmm. The Lord okay. of the Rings films are entertaining, and they have story, and the story is similar to the quote unquote canon without being the core truth. So I love the show. I didn't expect it. It's a fantastic show. We can talk about specifics of the show. And, you know, maybe there are some like pieces that are off of it. But at the core of each of these characters, look for their relationship to what they think is perfect and true. And what is their relationship to power? What is their what is their relationship to gaining power? At what cost? At what would they be willing to give up for their power? Like all of these things are the core principles of Tolkien. And as long as they're inside that, 
this show is vastly better than anything I mm. have seen in the world of Tolkien. And okay. it's the greatest compliment I could give. Yeah, it's wonderful. And it's um, fascinating to me. And I don't want to delve into it because it takes us too much into our world. But it is fascinating how much it comes from a company <laughs> that is uh, determined to destroy our world, <laughs> maybe by but accident. Why, why not take that in? Because yeah. that is the person, that individual is an icon or a representation of one of these arcs. Yeah. And if this wasn't a valuable or worthwhile arc, why would that, why then we shouldn't look at it? But like to me, you and I have had this conversation, yeah. what Bezos is and what he represents yep. is the collecting of power. So it's power for power's sake. And then that power then gives me the morality because I see the power as the morality. And so I just want more of it. And he's collecting. Mm -hmm. So that's more of like, then that, that is an archetype also in these books. Um, I do not think it's Sauron. No. I think Sauron is way more deceiving. He's way more powerful. I do think that it runs through all races. All races have a version of uh, Bezos. And it is the version, like, think about now, again, this concept of you go too far with your power is, and then you will, you doom yourself. You go into the cycle of death if you go too far. Think about the dwarves that dig too deep. Mm -hmm. Classic. They dig too deep. There's shit down there. It, Bezos is someone who will dig too deep. He will just keep going. It's no, it's no question of morality or right or wrong. It is, I could do it. And so I did it. And that is absolutely destructive. Simultaneously, those people are craftsmen. Mm -hmm. They craft, they make from nothing something. And that's their obsession. And some of those tools and things, there are vast, they're deep, they're fascinating, they're powerful. And that's what he's done. So to me, he's like a dwarf king. Like he mm. will just keep building, obsessively building, obsessively creating. Uh, and that is the difference between Melkor slash Sauron and Aule, who is the Sauron's uh, Sauron is his uh his crafter. There's always a crafter. Yeah, so the God. Valar, the Valar yeah. that Sauron came out of is not Melkor, the big bad guy. It it is the craftsman, the the the, the god of earth and the god of crafts. Uh Sauron came out of that. And he is a sub um he's a Maiar uh, theme. Yeah, but the song, he's like a sub-theme of a of a craftsman, a crafter. Mm -hmm. That's why I think the analogy is close with Bezos. But the difference is Aule uh, doesn't grasp. He makes to make and let's go. Mm -hmm. He's not, he's not, a, he doesn't grasp. And that's Except what makes that time him... he accidentally created the dwarves. But he doesn't, he doesn't no, want he purposefully to own them. He yeah. makes for making sake. And that's the difference between Melkor and Sauron. Yeah. So Sauron is a combination of the maker and the possessor mm. needing to possess and control. And so that's, that's not what Bezos is. Bezos is an, wants to own it and to make it. And mm -hmm. that's the danger in him. And he's absolutely as destructive as he is creative, but he makes. Okay. Sorry, I don't know. If, no, you're doing I don't great. know if you wanted to go that far. All no, right. it's great. In show, so in the universe of this show, I would say that the things that you are talking about are most easily accessed right now by Galadriel. She is, she came from the Eden. Mm -hmm. We haven't seen it yet, but she was very much cast out of, or she left, but it was like part of a great uh, big drama that we're probably not allowed to get into. We don't have the rights to it in this show. Oh, well. But she shows up in Middle Earth. She is relentlessly chasing someone that harmed her family, but she mm -hmm. is in danger of becoming exactly what she beheld. She Absolutely. Is, she has uh, got a powerful not authoritarian, but vengeance-related streak. And she will push and push and push until she gets her desired outcome. And that, is, and she is holding on in, right. in the way that you were talking about. She's holding on to trauma. And so- And she's vengeful. So she's trying to destroy yeah. the thing that took her vision of perfect. Yeah. And so she is, she is vengeful. She's vengeance. And it can turn her ultimately to the dark, which is yeah. fascinating. Which is and that they addressed it in the show. It's great. That's may not be her whole character as it was intended by Tolkien, but at yeah. least it's on the spectrum. Yeah. And what a fun way of dealing with her. But they also identified it in the movies. Oh, good. I'm glad. Yeah. In I the haven't first seen movie. the movie. I don't I don't like the movies, so I didn't watch it yeah. very much. In the movies, 
they have a scene where, you know, Frodo in the movies goes around offering everybody the ring. Will you take it? Gandalf. No, yeah. I would do terrible things. Oh, oh yeah. No, Galadriel, will you like take that? it? That was good. In place of no, a like that. dark lord, you would have a queen. That's her examining that temptation at the very end of her life in Middle Earth and Love rejecting it. it because of everything that she's learned yeah. here. So now. that's where she ends up as an arc, makes this part of the, her arc fantastic. I mean, they're playing with it. By the way, uh, like, I don't think we need to address this, but the people that are like all upset about the like casting or the, like, you have to understand she is the most powerful entity that yeah. exists on mortal plane. It's yeah. her and one other person. Yeah. Like, that's it. You will not find a more powerful living entity in the entire land that is not a god. Like, yeah. you'll run into Bombadil. There are creatures and there are themes and songs and entities that were made from these songs that live on Earth that none of these individuals, including Valar, have any idea what they are. Mm -hmm. And that's where we get, like, Shelob is a is a, uh, is a a offspring of uh, Ungoliant. Like, what the fuck is that? What is this, like, massive spire? Look, these are all echoes of themes that aren't characters. They're their energy. So I'm not saying she's the most powerful energy, but as an individual, she's been around the longest. She is the most powerful. Yep. So they are correct to be like, she's a superhero. You and I discussed, yeah, I don't want to hear any Mary Sue's about Galadriel. Like, I don't want to hear that argument. That's really. so dumb. Yeah. Like he, he laid that out. Yeah. But what I will say is that you and I had this conversation. Ptolemy, I should go back and tell you that Ptolemy and I have had a text chain going, which is why we're talking now, that is very long and very obscure and very theory-based. And uh, one of the times we were trying to figure out who was, who, what elf had currently been, who was still alive or had not departed for the West, which elves had been there the longest. And Galadriel, mm -hmm. obviously, because she left... Um, heaven valinor right when some real she was born there she was born there and she left yeah. there when some stuff went down involving um these three jewels which we'll get to um, so that's a uh, vengeance it was a yeah. story of the elves seeking vengeance over peace yeah. so they they were stolen from by the main bad guy and yep. a, a class of elves were like Fuck you. We're coming. We're coming, we're for, coming your, for you. We're coming for and our we're stuff. We're going to destroy you for destroying what we thought was great. Yeah. Same exact pattern. Yeah. And she joined. She joined yeah. at the end, but she still joined. She yeah. was reluctant at first, but she went along with it and they paid for it. Mm -hmm. The only person who's left who's older than her is another elf who never yeah. yet at this point has been to Valinor. Now, we can say who it is or we cannot. But there is an elf currently in Middle Earth. You can say who it is. This is all like yeah, classic it's all stuff. Written. Uh, it's and he's Kyrdan. technically in. Yeah, Sirdan. Oh yeah, Kyrdan. Kyrdan. Oh, man. <sighs> I always pronounce it wrong when I read it. Uh, Sirdan the shipwright. I like yeah. better than saying Kyrdan the shipwright. Yeah. Well, it's GIF versus JIF, so I don't. I don't at, yell at people at the, about pronunciation. At the end of no, there is a correct pronunciation. Sure, but pronunciation, I don't yell at people about it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I was wrong, but I read it when I was like yeah. what ten or twelve. Um, so he's the he's the one that builds the ships that they leave with mm -hmm. uh, at the end of Lord of the Rings. Mm -hmm. So that's uh, that he's kind of in it, but yeah. he's he's old school, old old old, old school, old, old. ancient, but not from Valinor. Yeah. So we're talking about somebody who your proximity, like the guys from Numenor. One issue I have with the show is the men from Numenor should be taller yes. than regular men. So men should be kind of like the orcs of men. Like, mm -hmm. ah, ah, I gotta. And then Numenor is, has been so close to heaven that they become more powerful and taller. Well, I would argue heaven. that they were, and we are at a stage in Numenor's development where they are lesser than they were. Huh? No, I mean, at this time, this is the peak of Numenor. Sure. So should be... It's actually technically past the peak. If you go back and yeah, look at it's Al Alcala but it, the idea, the idea being, the closer you are to heaven, the more powers you're yes. getting from radiating out of perfection, mm -hmm. theoretically. So you're talking about Galadriel, who who was conceived in power. Like this person, they're almost being like polite yeah. for how powerful she is. Yeah. Uh, so I just want to clarify yeah. that. And and um, you see it later in her more statuesque. 
appearance in Lord of the Rings in the three movies. But here she's very vibrant and young and full of beans, right? Because mm-hmm. she's still got vengeance in her heart and she hasn't right. met all the Which people cool. who are going to change her mind. Um, and it's really cool. And uh, then you've got, so talking about characters' relationships to power, and I don't want to go too long because we have a lot to talk about. We're going to do this more than once. Um, okay. But there was another character that I think it's important to talk about in terms of their relationship to power, and that is a character named Halbrand. All right. Just I like Halbrand. Yeah. I like Adar better. Yes. Okay, we could talk about Adar. All right, let's talk about Adar because yeah. I fucking love this guy. Yeah. What a creation. Yeah. Because it comes straight out of this this, this music. Like Who, this guy's in the simplest great. way is Adar. Simple first. Simple concepts, then the complicated. Oh, right. Echoes. So I don't know where you're like, I'm speaking in my mind. I'm speaking to people who have seen the show. Yeah, we uh, are so at episode we six. We finished episode six. Do you want to do the yep. um, the play by play and yeah. then I'll do color commentary? Sure. All right. So you explain who Adar is okay. or I can try, but nope. I am too wordy. Okay. Yes, I have noticed. Uh, <laughs> uh, I was given a That's mission. The judgment. That's the Jenny judgment. Nope, it's not judgment, but I was given a mission to not let you monologue. Who, who oh, gave me man. that? Who gave me that mission? No one. That's not a possible that you have an impossible task. <laughs> I know. Good luck. You now have the ring. I know. All right. I have I have the ring. Uh, in the beginning, there were a bunch of elves and they were born, for lack of a better word, at a place called Kuvienen, Kuvienen in Middle Earth. I'm not going to go into all the when and the how, but they were very early on. And... Mm. And all of these elves were happy and safe, but all around them, Melkor slash Morgoth was creating mistrust, despair, fear, all of these things. So when the um, hunter of the Valar, so basically the hunter god of these gods comes along and is like, hey, you guys are awake. Here you are. Some of them are afraid and they run away. And I will not go into what happens to all of the rest of the elves, but my theory about the character Adar hmm. is that he is an Avari or a Sylvan hmm. elf, which comes slightly after Avari, and that mm-hmm. he ran away in fear straight into the arms of Morgoth, who then uh, as Galadriel. Avari is a word, but you mean Avari are the, what they called the unwilling. Uh, yeah, the unwilling, the ones that ran away, ran away, and straight right. into the arms of Morgoth. What or, is a what is the singular for a single elf that is of the Avare? Well, it depends. There are so many. This is Tolkien, right? So Tolkien. No, it's just one word. Here, I'll tell you the oh, answer. Yeah. It's Avar. Avar. A V A R. Oh. And what is his name? Adar. Right. Yeah. Makes perfect sense. So the point being is that then you have heard from Gladriel in this episode six. And if you've not gone to episode six, stop listening. But the idea is that. Morgoth wanted to create on his own, like Eru Iluvatar wanted to, right? And so he couldn't, because that secret fire of creation only rests with one mega god, the god, the one. So all he could do was corrupt what Eru had created, which is the elves. Wow. You went so far back. This is like, this is so good that you want want early principles and themes. This is great. I didn't know you would. I love it. I mean, this is like all the way back to the beginning. Yeah. But the point is. is These are where elves come from. Yeah. The point is, is that the ones that ran in fear were captured and corrupted into a terrible form. And then that form, as you told me in one of our texts, propagated, propagated, propagated further out from the source. We still, and please maybe never see orcs mating, please. But might happen or they're in sacks in the earth who knows i've already seen it Uh, i've already seen it in my mind Uh, okay um (laughs) right yeah so uh are we the bottom line is is that this elf adar is an early orc who he has told us this and he likes he prefers the name uruk as a as a species yeah so i don't think so uh that last part that because you think Uruk that's a lie. is like um you are uh you are it's like you know how it's not okay to call like the the term oriental yes they that used to be like in the 50s that's what all asian people were called right and we do not do that's that now. not okay yeah right 
And so there's a difference. Uh, orc is a derogatory term that the Elvish in Sindarin, that their language is like, what's up, orc? Yeah. And so he says, Uruk is yeah. the correct term. That's right. He's not saying that he is an no, Uruk. No, I know that. But he is not well, an he's orc. defending his people. He is saying, don't call me orc. You can call me Uruk. Uruk. We yeah. prefer, we, we prefer the, all of us, we yeah. prefer to be called Uruk because that's in our language. And so you now, are being let derogatory. You let me ask you a question. This edition where he says, I prefer to be called an Uruk, is that that's a right. modern interpretation of Tolkien or does that come straight from Tolkien? Because this gets into... It doesn't, it, it doesn't, as uh, to me, in my opinion, and I, and I just want to answer this for all of these questions. Yeah. There are elements that they're going to take uh, modern storytelling tropes mm -hmm. and mechanics that is not Tolkien. And you and I are going to talk about that stuff because mm -hmm. you are sensitive to it. And I don't know if I am. But uh, yes, this is there are some overlays of politics and pol and life and living that is happening right now. Mm -hmm. And that is what is your tradition? What is in your blood? What were you raised as? What does that say about you? Can you overcome these things? Are you are you a racist? Did you were was your family was your area part of a revolution in the past that was pretty fucked up? Does that define who you are? Or could you become something more? Like they're totally dealing with all this stuff. Can they deal with all this stuff and still be inside of Tolkien? Yes. yes. But you have to understand what Tolkien is. And that's what they do. So I don't care. <laughs> I do think that there is an overlay that both sci-fi and fantasy can paint a clearer picture of the world we live in now. Mm -hmm. But they're also doing it inside of the inside of the language and the essence of storytelling that is Tolkien. So I respect it and I don't mind it. Okay. I agree. And I agree because Tolkien, a man, while writing something incredibly timeless, was writing it in his time. And I don't want to spend a lot of time on was Tolkien racist because that man was of his time. He was trying to write something to me that was timeless and infinity based but he was writing it on this earth in a particular time. And so some of the stuff that's in his world does not fit with our world on the surface, but it For fits example, with our world. He probably used the term Orientals. That's he, just what people were using right. at that time. It's like, oh, the Orientals. Right. They're, those people, every, like, let me tell you this. You are probably racist if you are listening to sure. my voice now. There is an element of all of us that have to struggle with these. It's yeah. not about like, right and wrong. It's about what your intentions are and then trying to do right on your intentions. So yep. when he created the orcs, he did say that they were originally like these, the, the story that you're laying out. And then he later apologized for it. He said, I don't think that's actually accurate. I don't think they're elves at all. I think they are corrupted, probably corrupted humans. But either way, that that he himself like changed his relationship to things as, as he learned more which about we life. All do. This, again, he does not claim himself to be the arbiter. Yeah. At the very core of his stories is the arc of storytelling. And he changed everything, all the details outside of that. The other thing that we're going to bring up probably in this conversation has to do with uh, these wizards, right? Yeah. And he changed up, like, I'll, I'll pitch you my new idea or another idea, yeah. but it's based on his later writings and they have access to these later writings. So that's okay. He can change his mind because he did not claim that all everything I say is the only way and is right. He actually said, when I go back and read that stuff, it's as if it was written by someone else. I'm confused by it. I'm interested in it. That's accurate and it's truthful, but it all comes down to a core. And as long as you're following the core, you are still being Tolkien-ish. Yes. Which brings us to- so This is why I love him. I yes. love Adar. Yeah. And, oh. and Adar is so great because oh. he's okay. complex. He doesn't- oh. Wait, did your, I bet your microphone, I bet your earbuds just went. Yeah. I'm going to keep talking. Okay. Ooh, Ptolemy can't hear me. So I'm going to keep talking. <laughs> we need a, um, we need a, a, a password. Where yeah. We can teach everyone what the safe word is. Yeah. And then when I am monologuing, you just say, you work the safe word in and, but everyone will know what the safe word is, but we can still have a safe word. The safe word is Mithrandir. Okay. Because right. say that's what they I'll made stop monologuing. in the Lord of the Rings movies. They made Gandalf the king of exposition to an almost ridiculous extent. They had Sir Ian McKellen. He was so good. And he would just 
they would just give him chunks of Shakespearean as great casting too. That movie is so well cast. Yeah. Um, Okay. Can you hear me now? You're back. Yeah. Okay. So you've got this character named Adar, which is whose mystery is slowly unfolding. Although you certainly have thoughts about um, how much it has unfolded and what is truth and what is lie. So I think they're lying and I think he's lying. Okay. Um, So I'd, uh, like the the two things that we know that are factual, the one one um, supports your story, which is he is one of those uh, corrupted elves because mm-hmm. uh, he bleeds black, and yeah. that is corruption. That you can't. There's no argument against that. These are physical things, but yeah. everything that people say could be a lie. So I don't trust what he says when he said he cut Sauron in half or whatever, and, and like killed Sauron. I don't think he believes that, and I don't think uh, Gladriel says you're lying. Uh, I think we should think he's lying. There are stories being told inside of stories in this um, uh, in this show that I think are awesome because yeah. they're lies, yeah. and that's great. And that's a complexity. Uh, including, that I think their I think their origin of the Mithrandir like fable is going to be a lie told by mm-hmm. Sauron, and everybody's mm-hmm. like, "That's gross. That's not even Tolkien." I don't think it is either. But I actually trust these people. You don't understand. Jenny and I know each other for a long time. Like I am very sensitive to these things. I hate. Uh, I I do not like things bad that are bad. I I don't even like Star Wars anymore. I think Star Wars lost at the core of its storytelling. I do still have to watch uh, Andor, so maybe it'll be good. But if you don't have the core, like I I'm not interested in fan for fandom's sake. Mm-hmm. But this is a good show, and I'm I believe that they know what they're doing. So I think that story is fake. You believe the they have a core told- of truth. Yeah. From and which so then tell I believe out of that, we're being told lies and we're mm-hmm. be, they're being sold to us as the truth, yes. including the story that he told. So uh, I think the, the other piece of truth that is true about him, one, he bleeds black, so that supports your story. The other one that he killed Sauron, well, he also knows Sauron's plan. He knows about the sword and he activates Sauron's plan. He executes I think Sauron's he's working, plan, yeah. Yeah, he's, he's working for Sauron. He recognizes him. When he stabs him through the hand, he's like, do you recognize me? And he says, no. Oh, and he's right. We're jumping That's the ahead. the right answer. We're jumping ahead. There is another character whose identity we don't know. All right. Maybe we go. don't know it. Come on. We don't know it right. yet at this episode six. Halbrand. Ptolemy's pretty confident. Ptolemy's pretty confident that Halbrand, a character we have been directly told in every way a show can tell you to like conventionally. They're conventionally getting us to like this character through his association to Galadriel, through his desire to be better than his nature will allow, none of which is contradictory to what Sauron does. And things happen. Yeah, things happen all around this character that benefit this character. And yet. Awesome. Yes. And that's a great choice because he could be a man who is being benefited by everything that happens around him, or he could be the great deceiver. Yeah. So in the books, like Sauron, uh, you know, we're working, these guys that are making the show are working from like a cliff noted version. So let's imagine that Tolkien was a super fan of his own work and wrote, like he just typed up the The coverage of these episodes and was like, hey, then this happened, then this happened. But he didn't actually write the episodes. He was just a super fan and told you what happened in the episode. That's what these people are working with when they're working with the appendices. A lot of the Silmarillion is told almost in outline form. And in those outlines, it does say Sauron shows up here and convinces the entire civilization to do this. And it's like, what? I mean, I buy it because you're telling me that it happened, but how could that be possible? We're watching a show in which they illustrate how that could be happening. What a daunting task. What a daunting task. And these people are pulling it off, in my opinion. It's incredible. It will still break my heart, though, because I'm conventionally wedded. That's exactly what it should be. Yeah. I'm conventionally wedded to this character because they have used all their storytelling power to make it so. What a great, that's exactly what you should be feeling from him. And it's so disarming. It's, they do it better than I could, than I did the work myself. And I'm very impressed with them. Yeah. If, if he is in fact Sauron, it really seems like he is, but I don't know. Um, And so you have the second idea, which is he says that he killed Sauron, but he's executing the plan. And so that means he, there are lies that are being woven inside of his stories. So I'm not willing to accept anything he says as truth yet. 
So I still hold out that he could be uh, other people. He could be other. He could just be a lieutenant. He could be the mouth of Sauron. Uh, you know, these people that have been around him for a long yeah. period of time. He is from Bellarand, probably because yeah. he does talk about traveling down, I believe, the Syrian because yeah. that's like the major river. Now, Beleriand, for those of you who have not had the joy of reading the Silmarillion, is an entire other part of the continent that was submerged. Like there were thousands and thousands of years of people living there and stories and all of this stuff. And then it's submerged under the waves at the end of the first age when the big gods and goddesses come over and get Morgoth and take him and cast him into the void. But they a whole continent, part of a continent is sacrificed and the waves come in so far that it has changed. So Beleriand is, yes. So it's all it, gone now. Yeah, it's um, all gone. But, uh, do Except you want for two me to little parts that stick out. One of my which favorite is pitch uh, for Adar. Kyrdan's world. Yes, go. My, my favorite pitch for Adar is a character called uh, Meglin. Mm -hmm. He's a dark elf mm -hmm. from that time period. So look up E-O-L. Eol was his father. Meglin was his son, and Eel was this grumpy uh, elf who never, you know, went over. He's one of the people that stayed, and he was like grumpy and powerful. And he made this, crafted this sword, uh, this black sword, and um, and Meglin took it, and it's black. And he stabs that one orc mm. with this black little blade, which is fascinating. Meglin is bitter. He he ends up falling into the darkness, but he comes from this kind of like near racism of the elves of yes. this like cockiness and dis dislike of elves between other elves he mirrors exactly what the southern southerners are like his whole story just read just go back and like read it's um his name is spelled m-a-e-g-l-i-n and he's like an old school story and it just fits so awesomely he does die in the cimmerillion so you but know galadriel I, I mean, would know maybe, him though would she she might she go to gondolin gondolin was like yeah Gondolin Super was uh, secluded. Yeah. Like they were, if you entered Gondolin, you couldn't leave. My bet. So it's. My bet is that this character, Adar, is actually much older than Maeglin or much earlier in the Silmarillion, that he is one of the uh, Lenway Denethor Sylvan elves who went away at a different point. From the main journey, all of these elves from Qvienen, they were born there. The Valar came and got them, and they started this very long journey over the continent to end up in, you know, Eden, basically across the sea. But some of them did not go, and there was a whole strain of elves called the Teleri, if we're really going to get into it, who were who tarried along the road because they were so in love with this world that they didn't really want to leave it. And also they lost their king in the forest. Um, and so they were searching for him. And it turns out Kirdan is one of them. His first, his real name is Noe. So Kirdan the shipwright is actually a Talarian elf who stayed and stayed and stayed in Middle Earth, even though he desperately wanted to go to Velar. So I think it's of that era. You know, those like um, type A personalities that are like super uh, about achievement yeah. and like getting there and like that is what the Noldar become. They're like, yeah. let's go. We got it. We see it. We're going. And then these people behind us like, let's just enjoy life. We're doing like, OK, we're like yeah. in the middle. And then there's people that are afraid. And these are mm -hmm. all reactions to great power. Mm -hmm. And they're different types of people. And they happen on the elf level. And they happen on the human level. And they happen on the hobbit level. They and happen the God even level. on the orc level, which this show does better. Yeah. Then on the God level, it definitely happens. Um, this show is doing better than I think anything else. I've been showing that orcs. I mean, the greatest line is we were also created by the mm -hmm. sacred fire. Same fire that created you. Mm -hmm. We deserve a home. Like, basically, you may not like us, but we're made by the same God. So yeah. go fuck yourself. Yeah. Like, I love that. That is this, a great. I love this guy, Adar. Yeah. And now, and he's I think right. we should end it here. And spend the next episode, the next time we talk, talking about the stranger and the strangerettes, because that's a whole okay. other bit of business. But just to keep track here, we have a character who we think we know, but whose story has not yet unfolded, which is Adar. We have a character who everybody thinks is maybe Sauron in Halbrand, but maybe not. Maybe he is what he says that he, he is. Um 
And we have a character who we're going to talk about next time called The Stranger, which is, or Meteor Man, which is what the internet has called him, who has his own complex, who is he, even though everybody has a theory. Um, so any final thoughts on our first foray? Yeah. Would you like me to read yes. how all of existence ends and how all of these stories end? Yes, please. So uh, he goes over it on the first page of this story um, after uh, Iluvatar or God um, tells everybody their song and they, they play it, they sing it. He says, um, never since have the Anur made music like to this music. It was just their themes and they sang them purely and it was stunning. It went all the way all the way to the space, all the way down to the deep, deepest parts of depth, right? And there's a piece of that uh, in the title sequence. Never since the Anur made any music like to this music, though it has been said that a greater still shall be made before Iluvatar by the choirs of the Anur and the children of Iluvatar, which is us also, after the end of days. Then the themes of Iluvatar shall be played aright and take being in the moment of their utterance for all shall then understand fully his intent in their part, and each shall know the comprehension of each, and Iluvatar shall give to their thoughts the secret fire, being well pleased. Mm. What does that mean? It means that we all have to learn. We have to learn by our, from ourselves, and we have to learn from each other. And all of those lessons, all of our mistakes, all of our passions, all of our failures, all of our misery, all of that is the lesson. And until we learn it from each other and we truly comprehend, even if we, even if we set out to destroy God, that was one of the lessons. And after we've all learned everything there is to learn, then we come back and, and then we start to sing understanding what these impulses are, why we were given them. And only then is the song complete. Wow. So each of these people, all of their mistakes, every piece of it is just learning what the real song was supposed to be. And it's heartbreaking and it, and it hurts to learn, but we have to go through this to truly see the purpose of what life was. Does that go and for Morgoth? Too? It does go for Morgoth because it says it right there is that then Iluvatar hands us this idea, the secret fire, and that is the fire of creation. But we are not ready for it yet, including Morgoth. Morgoth must witness what his possessiveness, what his selfishness does to the world. And until it is fully played out, he will not learn either. And until we all learn this, we cannot take the mantle of God which is the mantle of the fire, which creates life. We are not worthy of the fire until we see the full ramifications of everything that life can give. But won't someone in that end time, like Morgoth or Sauron or some other, then use the secret fire for an evil purpose and it all starts they over will. again? They absolutely will until every ramification is shown and learned huh. and that's what we're still we're still we're still reverberating the echoes of possessiveness selfishness we're still we're still behaving in the same echoes this is the third act we are in the third age now mm -hmm. just these soft echoes of a song that was so powerful but we're still playing out the same cycles of ownership of vengeance of sadness of regret of staying in our patterns because we want our child, our innocence back, of, of being vindictive or, or giving up. All of those patterns came from the beginning, the moment of possessiveness, or instead of being the song, controlling the song. Mm -hmm. And until we all learn that, this will not end. Well, I think you know what kind of conversation you're going to get on this podcast. <laughs> It ain't going to be about plot. I'll tell you that. So all stories lead to this. Yes. And that's why they're all, this is, this is a pretty good show. I got to say. Yeah, it's a pretty good show. It's really good. Ain't no need for a magic spell because there's an unlocked door in the wall.
bell The door is quite plain It is humble in size And on the other side A great relief is the prize But you know you can't get through No matter how hard you try If you're carrying hatred Tune in for more next time we talk. Mithrandir. Until next time. Mithrandir. No monologue. <laughs> That'll be our catchphrase. Mithrandir, baby. No monologue. No monologuing. You had a lot to get out. There was a lot in your heart. I'm a broken person. Let's <laughs> just be honest. I am also a broken person because I need to control it. So fine. Uh, you know, we you have to find your level. We found our sure. level. All right. Uh, I'm stopping the recording now, even though I probably shouldn't.